glad that you came tonight. I am going to bust some doubt out of your mind and out of your heart tonight. So everybody say, doubt, get out. Doubt, get out. Okay, so uh, we're going to be talking tonight about Genesis. We're going to be doing two chapters tonight. So uh, just buckle your seatbelt because we got to go fast if we're going to do this. But we are going to, my biggest um, desire, like I said here tonight, is to bust some doubt out of you. And uh, I just have a real heart right now, just a real heart in my, just a strong desire, I should say, in my heart to just, just break open truth to you. So we're working right now our way through Genesis, and uh, tonight we're going to do Genesis 10 and 11. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis are the most disputed, hotly contested, fought over, absolutely to the death, down to the mat uh, war against these first 10 or 11 chapters of Genesis. There is more. This is the most highest contested piece of literature on the planet. It has never been uh, anything as, you know, something has never been written that has come up against so much heated debate, even today, uh, than these first 10 chapters of Genesis. And I'm really, really hoping that uh, through some of this, uh, that you're going to get a lot of clarity. Tonight, we're going to just really just bust up some 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 myth. Amen. So pull out your piece of paper, pull out your pencil, get your Bible ready because we have a lot to do tonight. Are you ready? Dwayne, did you set my timer? Because my battery's dead. You got to do it on your own phone. <clears throat> I'm going to be done at, at 630, 7.30. I promise. Or we might go till 9 because I'm so excited about everything that is here. So when that timer goes off, it's prayer and gone. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. Uh, chapter, we're not going to start in chapter uh, uh, 10 and 11. Like I told you, we're going to start in chapter 3. We're going to get a run and start at this thing, okay? So um, the first words that Satan ever uttered that's written in our Bible is in chapter 3, verse 1. And it says here, Now the serpent was more crafty than the wildest of animals, uh, wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, these are his first words. What are his first words? Indeed, has God said, doubt. His first words that he sowed into humanity was doubt. Did God really say that? And he has not shut that line up ever since. He does not have a whole lot of plays in his playbook. It is always the same line. Did God really say that? He started off, his very first words ever said and that he uttered were words of doubt that he whispered in to humanity, to Adam and Eve that had walked face to face, hand in hand, daily with the almighty God who's created everything. He came and whispered these words. Did God really say? He has not stopped since. And tonight I'm hoping like I said, to bust up more doubt and unbelief than you can imagine. Okay, so are you ready? Did God really say? So um, what we're, to, we're talking about here, Genesis uh, 1 through 11, we're talking about prehistorical times. Prehistorical times. Ancient times. Wow, you're, everybody's making noise around here. Hey, did you know that when I was playing the piano, something happened with my phone in my pocket and, and Susie, whatever, the si Siri, starts yelling at me while I'm playing the piano. So um, electronic devices right now are trying to get in our way. So I'm like, what is this noise? It was in my pocket. Okay, I see that. Okay, here we go. 
Where was I? Oh, we're dealing with prehistoric things. And we're dealing with a time frame that has not, we don't have any witnesses for the time, this time frame. Christianity doesn't have necessarily witnesses because they've all died. But neither does evolution. They don't really know. So we could say to them, is that really what you want to say? Right? Um, but right now, unfortunately, they hold the platform. Did you know that, that in 1770, if you were to open up an Encyclopedia Britannica and look up the beginning of the world, the beginning of the earth, do you know what it would say? Creation. 6,000 years ago. The Bible said. This is Encyclopedia Britannica. It also said, talks about the flood. Talk, it gives earth a young date of about 6,000 years old. The Encyclopedia Britannica. Today, if you open up the Encyclopedia Britannica, don't make me say that again because I'll probably really mess it up. If you open it up today, it says that the earth is 60 million years old and evolution. So this whole situation that we find ourselves in right now, this war that we find ourselves in over the first 10 chapters of Genesis, not only has it been ancient since the beginning, since the time Satan said, did God really say, but for very long periods of time, Christianity and the Bible reigned supreme in worldview and in thought. It's only been in the last 200 years that it has shifted. Okay? So we have to understand that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, science was driven by the Christian society. Sir Isaac Newton, Christian. I mean, I could, I could list them out. The guy who invented anesthesia invented anesthesia because he read the Bible where in Genesis where it says God put them to sleep so he could do a little bit of rearrangement. So he prayed to the Lord and said, help me figure this out because we need to fix people's bodies. Help me learn what anesthesia, you know, what to do for this. Christianity. Okay. So did God really say? Christianity says absolutely yes, there is a God and he supernaturally imposed things into this world and made it happen supernaturally. But now we deal with a culture that is naturalist. Everybody say naturalist. They would say, did God really say? They would say, no, there is no God. And everything that you see and touch and feel and know is from, is natural. It's from materialism. That there is no room for supernatural. There's only natural means and causes. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with. So let's turn to the Bible, though, because that's not my little intro, but we're going to get back to that. So let's turn to the Bible and let's start reading, okay? I'm going to start reading here, and we're going to do a lot of reading. How are we doing back there, Michael? You got your fast fingers going? All right, well, we're going to start. We ended last week in Genesis 9, and we learned that in uh, Genesis 9, uh, verse 18... 
Noah and his sons and their wives all got off the ark and they're having a great time. It says in verse 20 that Noah was a man of the soil and proceeded to plant a vineyard. We don't know how long Noah and his children were there all together at that moment, but it was for a period of time because he was able to plant a vineyard and reap a harvest and make some wine. So there was a little bit of a time lapse right in here, okay? So some time passed. I would say time passed. Um, and then verse 21, when he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So everybody say righteous men do dumb things sometimes. Okay. Got it straight. Don't ever look at your righteous people and your authority and expect perfection. You're not going to ever get perfection out of your authority, but hopefully you're underneath an authority that is given it a good college try. Amen, Chris, <laughs> you're right up there with us, you know, leader, leader and all that kind of thing. All of you are for that matter. So uh, then we find here. So here he is laying there drunk and uncovered in his tent. Uh, verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside two ways to handle broken authority. One is to come in, get all shocked. <gasps> Noah, and then run. Noah, get it? Noah. Noah. Okay. Come on. Loosen. <laughs> so he, he goes in and he goes like, Noah. And he comes running out and he tells everybody, he uncovers them even more. Yap, 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 yap. His brothers, how did they handle it? It says here, but Shem and Japheth took garments and laid it across their back of their shoulders. And then they walked in backwards, covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away so they would not see their father's nakedness. Second way to handle a, an authority's weakness is to cover them. Respect the office. Honor. We also talked last week about how important it is to go ahead and go to authority if there is problems so you can help them work it out. Amen? So what happens out of this situation? How you handle authority is huge because guess what's going to come next? Big things happen that affect you even today. Then Noah awoke from his wine, found out what his younger son had done to him, and he said, cursed be Canaan. So now, did you notice the name change? We went from Ham to Canaan. Canaan is Ham's son. And in this declaration, uh, theologians think two different things. Either Canaan was involved with Ham in this situation, so God included Canaan, his son, in this curse, or he knew that Canaan and his line were going to be absolutely, you know, a little bit more um, anti-God, which they ended up being. Okay, so, so cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. In some of your Bibles, it will say slave of slaves. He will be to his brothers. So Canaan, Ham, his line, his lineage is now consigned to be slaves, okay? Because of the way they handled authority, better watch out what you do. You don't want to be found to be rebellious. You don't want to be found in any, any way that would be harmful. Uh, verse 26, he also said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. So now he's declaring that Shem is going to become, this is the first time we hear of any lineage or set apart group of people. Shem, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. He's beginning to set them apart. The Shemites become Semites, become Israelites. Okay, so he's foretelling the fact that through this, this person, I'm going to set me apart of a people. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. 
Who did the Israelites go in and take over the land of Canaan from? Canaanites. The Jebusites, the Gergesites, the yabbity yabbityites okay? So, and all that weren't killed became slaves. The Gibeonites became their slave for life. There's all sorts of stories there that I could get into, but I can't because I only have 42 minutes. Verse 27, may God extend the territory of Japheth. Japheth is blessed with an expansion. He becomes very, very large. His people do. And may Japheth, the Gentiles, Japheth turns into the Gentiles, and I'll show this to you in a little bit. He, um, his migration pattern is up into Europe, up into Russia, up into Asia, and across into North America. And it says here that God, may God extend the territory of Japheth, but may Japheth live in the tents of Shem. Out of the, the um, Japheth, right now, the Gentiles, through Jesus Christ, we have now been ushered into Christianity, into the family of God, right? Through who? Through Shem, through the Israelites. So we now dwell in the tents of Shem. Get it? Light bulbs coming on? After the flood, Noah lived another 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Just a bit of trivia. Noah is thought to have lived until Abram was born. Abram and Noah had the opportunity to talk to each other. Pretty cool. Okay, so now we're going to move on. So, as we're reading this, I want you to think in your head, biblical account, young earth, 6,000 years old. This all happened 6,000 years ago. Think in your head, did God really say all this? Is this all real and true? Because there's... Many, many, many people who do not believe in a young earth and they don't believe in, they've done everything possible to come up with a story that is opposite of this, that makes earth very, very old. In fact, I have tried very, very hard to pin down the age of the earth. If you go online and you try to pin down the evolutionary time frames of all of these things, you're going to find all sorts of all over the map. So basically, though, they say that the earth is Now they're saying between four and five billion years old. That's kind of like the opposite of this, wouldn't you think? So this is like way out here. That's what they believe. So be thinking in your mind, this is what God says. Did God really say that? And then this is what they are saying, okay? So now what we have, think in your mind, we have Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight people. That's all we've got. All of the nations of the world came from those eight people, really six, because it's very widely held that Noah didn't have any more sons. He only had those three. Because it says here, this is the count of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Um, And there's another spot uh, at the end of this chapter, if we jump down to chapter 10, verses 32, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to the lines and descents within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over all the earth and the flood. There's no talk of more sons from Noah. So out of those three, the three, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, those three came all the nations of the world. All right? So let's read here. Chapter 10, verse 2. The sons of Japheth. Okay, now there's tons of names. I'm going to butcher them. Don't laugh at me. I'm going to go fast, okay? 
Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Mesich, and Tiraz. The sons of Gomer, Eshnixes, or whatever, Rifeth and Togamara. The sons of Javan, Elijah, and Tarshish, and Kittim, and, okay, I told you don't laugh, Rodanim. Verse 5, from these the maritime people spread out into their ter- territories by their clans within their nations with each, each with its own language. Hear that own language? Wait a minute. We're all the same language still. We haven't had Babel yet. Okay. Chapter 11 is an overview of a very large period of time. So we start with just Noah and his family. And chapter 11 gives us an overview of big picture. Then when we go back to chapter, I mean chapter 10, when we go back to chapter 11, he's going to zero right back into before there were a scattering of the languages, and that's going to be really fun. We've got to get there. Everybody say, get there. Okay, so we have Japheth's people. Now, on your card, the, ver- the most interesting thing that I was finding, but I can't get bogged down with this because we have so far to go, but every single one of these people, if you start investigating and looking into some of these commentaries and some of these things, you're going to find that every single one of these people are tied with a nation. Either through their name, because that nation has, um, you know, history back and there's this name, or through, you know, just all sorts of things, what we're going to find out here in a little bit. But nations, and, and it said here, we just read that the descendants of Japheth from these, the Maritimes, so that's seagoing people, they go out to the isles. Whose Bible says the isles, the islands? The sea, the, the sea thing. So these are people who are going to expand very far. They're going to get in boats and they're going to row across the water. And they're going to find places to live, okay? Um, if you look on your, your little list there, uh, uh, Magog follows up into Russia. And he starts, he, his clans begin to um, settle in Russia. And you've heard of Gog and Magog and Revela- Revelation and all that kind of thing. A lot of thought of the Russian countries coming down from the north. So uh, Magog goes into Russia. Let me see what else we've got there. I didn't say me. Gomer. Gomer goes into the Greeks and to the, into Germany. Uh, we've got the Medes coming out of them, the Ionians. So all of the sons, now I didn't take time to go even into their sons, but their sons even have individual countries and nations that they go into as well. Okay, there's a lot of specificity that you can actually find here. So that's, so be thinking in your mind now um, uh, that, that Japheth expands north Okay, right now they're in the Arabian Peninsula. Japheth expands north, and then he goes east into Russia and into Asia. And then his people also, his people go over into Europe. They settle through Greek. They settle through Italy and Rome. And they settle all the way out. And they eventually will make themselves their way into North America. Okay? So let's keep reading here. The Hamites. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabata, Rama, and Sabteca, okay? The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan, the Hamites. Remember, now Ham is the guy who did the naughty nonos, and he's involved also with Canaan. So let's keep reading here. Verse 8. Cush, the father, was the father of Nimrod. Everybody say Nimrod. Please do not name your child Nimrod. Because the word Nimrod actually means the rebellious one, not a good thing. 
you don't want to do that. So, you know, it's good, better to name your child Silas or something like that. We have a little Silas over here. Cush was the father of Nimrod. So Nimrod is the grandchild of Ham and the great-grandchild of Noah. Nimrod, who, uh, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first center... Okay, now let me stop right there. Nimrod was a very, very mighty... When, he, when they say mighty hunter, the connotation is not go out, shoot a bear. The connotation is go out and shoot very... You know, not shooting because they didn't have guns, but, you know, shoot. I don't know how they killed him. He just, you know... They what? Sling them. Something like that. Okay. So he would go out and he would kill, um, you know, massive animals and that kind of thing. But also the word hunter also meant um, men as well. This Nimrod fella, when you start reading in other works, kind of filling in what the Bible has to say, is that he was a very hard man. He was a very mean man. He was, he was definitely a very strong man. And at the, he is the first man to start raising up dominions and kingdoms and ruling over other men. This is very important. He sets up the first kingdom of this world. Very interesting. Now, what is the name of the first kingdom? The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon. How many of you have ever heard of Babylon? How much do you hear about Babylon in the Bible? 280 times, actually, if you want to look it up. It is the second most spoken of city or kingdom next to Jerusalem. Babylon. Babylon is the first kingdom of this world to be set up. I'm going to give you a little bit more information on Babylon, but let's keep going. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Echad, and Kalna. In Shinar. Okay, Shinar is a plain. It's like a plain, not mountains, not a flappy plain, a plain as in flat ground, okay? <laughs> Got it? <laughs> Hopefully your planes aren't flapping. So, um, so there's these five cities in this plain of Shinar. And he goes out in the first city that he sets up, first kingdom of this world, Babylon. Then from that land, he's not finished yet. He's built five cities, five domains, five kingdoms. He goes north, and he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, another very famous city, right? Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, if you were wondering where that one was placed. Uh, and that is a great city. So the Bible pauses here, and he talks about this guy named Nimrod who goes out and establishes the first kingdom of this earth of this world. We're going to keep moving. Mizraim, verse 13. He was the father of the Ludites, the Anamites, the, the Lehabites, the Nephunites, the Patharosites, the Kalahites, from whom the Philistines came, which all of a sudden your ears should perk up because that's a lot of Old Testament as well, Philistines, the bad guys, and Kaphirites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn. Have you all heard of Tyre and Sidon? Okay, this came from this guy. Um, and here comes the ites. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinaites, the Arvadites, the Samorites, and the Hamathites. Samorites, Sinaites, 
I don't know, did I say them right? Zemorites. I don't know. Later, later the Canaanite clan scattered and uh, scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and whatever. These are the sons of Ham by their nations, their clans, their languages, and their territories and their nature, nations. So the Hamites, now can you put up that, that uh, map? Or do you guys have that map on front of you? The Ham, Hamites travel down towards Egypt. Mizraim becomes Egypt. The um, uh, Philistines, Ethiopia, Libya, all down into Africa. They fill up Africa. Okay, so the Hamites all go down into Africa. See that? Okay, now what you're looking at right now, okay, um, what I want you to take note of on your map or up there is I want you to find Babylon. It's on the far right-hand side over here. This whole little area here is called Mesopotamia. And see, there's a town there called Sumer, a city called Sumer, S-U-M-E-R. That's going to be a big one. And uh, this whole plain in here is full of all that. Now, in between here, there's a huge, huge um, desert. So you can see the red line goes way up high and way down low. So that is a huge, vast desert by the time the patriarchs come along, which is going to be in a little while. And that desert stops travel from going straight across. And it causes travel to have to go all the way up to Haran there and then down on the uh, border there of the water, the sea, Mediterranean Sea. Now, that whole area there where all those little cities are along the sea, that's Israel. That's Israel. It's not Israel quite yet, but that's the promised land. That's where Israel sits. Now, you're going to notice something. That travel pattern becomes very, very, very well-traveled all the way through Jesus' time, past Jesus' time, and everything else. Jesus, God put Jesus and this, this whole um, promised land and Israelites and all of them in the middle of the main intersection for the whole world to travel. Yes. And so when we were there, he was talking a lot about this. Everyone flowed through Israel. Now, I'm jumping ahead now to Jesus' time. So, you know, fast forward 2,000 years or so from what we're talking about right now. But back at the time when Jesus was walking along and preaching by uh, the Sea of Galilee and all that kind of thing, we went there. We saw where he preached. And you could see the Sea of Galilee, and there's this hill, this rolling hill that comes up. And he would sit there and teach on this rolling hill where this, his voice would spread out so well. And at the top of this kind of rolling hill was the main highway that everybody was traveling. So everybody that was coming through got to hear Jesus. I mean, Jesus became well known because of that pathway right there. Preaching right on I-5. Yes, pretty much. Okay, so now, so we know Ham is going to travel down into Africa and kind of head that way. We got Japheth heading up to the north and filling out Europe and filling out all of those things. Now let's hear about the, the next group here, the Semites. The sons who were also born to Shem, were, uh, who's his, whose older brother was Japheth. This is chat, uh, verse 21. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, okay? Eber, Eber, whenever they jump ahead in generations, you got to know that that's a very important person that they're jumping ahead to. Just like they jumped from Ham to Canaan, because Canaan is going to now carry a lot of stories for the Israelites. Okay, 
Um, so the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Axfred, Lud, and Aram, the sons of Aram, I'll call him, uh, uh, what would you say, Uz, Hul, Gether, Meshech, Araxfed was the father of Shelah and Shelah. Shelah was the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg because in his time the earth was divided. Peleg means division. It is believed that when we get down to chapter 11, verse 1, the Tower of Babel happened during Peleg's lifetime. Because the earth was divided and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan means shorter or little. And the thought there is that what his name meant was that from his point on, the generations lived shorter times. Okay? And we're going to see that in a little bit. The region, let's see, Joktan was the father of, and he lists them all out. Did we already do that one? Yeah. No. Anyway. Verse 30. The region where they lived stretched out from Mesha to Sephar to the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages and their territories and their nations. So the Shemites, they kind of stay more central. Go back to that map, if you would, for those who don't have their map in their hand. Um, the Shemites are going to stay a little bit more central. They stay pretty much what you see here in this, that whole upper region, the Shemites. Now, they do travel a little bit, but for the most part, they stay right there. So the Semitic people, have you ever heard of anti-Semitism? These people. Whose did I steal? You got another one. Okay, so we, what I just described to you is the migration of all the nations. The migration of all the nations. Did, is this true or not? It, this is how the Bible says it happened. Now, I'm going to tell you in a little while, in a little bit, what the evolutionists say happened. But this is the division and the traveling of how the earth was populated, okay? So now let's move on. Uh, verse 32, these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their line of descent within their nations, from these nations spread out over all the earth after the flood. He's very, very, you know, God, what did, what did God tell them when they got out of the ark? Go forth, fill the earth, and multiply. That was their job. And it has worked, don't you think? But for a moment, it didn't work. Chapter 11. Now, the whole world was, had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. Remember, I told you about that plain in Shinar. So they're all, all gathered up around the, around the um, ark. And now they're starting to multiply a little bit. So now they're starting to shift eastward on your map. Okay, they're walking across. They're getting across that, uh, where that desert is. And I'm going to tell you something about that desert that will allow them to pass through. And they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. What they found was between the Tigris and the Euphrates River is a nice, beautiful, flat plain, and that's where they settled. There's those cities of uh, that Babylon, Sumer, there's all sorts of cities in there, and they started to settle there together. They each said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so we have a problem. What did God de declare for them to do? 
Get out there. Go, go. I don't want you to gather together. I want you to spread out. I want you to populate the earth. I want you to get out there. So what did man say? Did God really say that? How many times have we said that to anything that God tells us? Did God really say that? So instead, they decided to gather up. Now, not all of them gathered up, but the vast majority did. Okay? Come, let us build us a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. With a tower that reaches to heaven. So instead of doing this whole thing God's way, they are now attempting to do it their way. Building their own way, their own path to God. They used brick. Now, the reason why they used brick was because in that plain of Shinar, there are no stones. It's a very interesting area. There's a lot of mud and a lot of straw and that kind of thing. So they, they used brick, and brick gets used a lot for the rest of the history of humanity. But also, you have to understand, stones were made by God. Bricks were made by man. And there's a deep meaning here. You start doing it your own way. You're going to have to build even the bricks to make your own way. Got it? And they used tar instead of, or where am I at? And tar instead of mortar. And they said, come, let us build us a city for ourselves, a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Very humanistic. It's all about us. It's all about us. No longer are they trying to glorify God. It's all about them. It's all about preservation of themselves and not be scattered over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. So this is what's happened. This is what God says. This is how the nations have become the nations. This is how the languages have become the languages. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about some of this, okay? Um, Babylon. Let's talk a little bit about Babylon. Um, once again, first, Babylon was the first city that, that uh, is mentioned here. Babylon, Babylon is, uh, there's an inscription actually in Babylon that they have found, they uncovered. There's all sorts of, there was writing back then. These people were not stupid. They had a written language and they wrote on clay tablets. And the cool thing is, in, these, is the, in this Mesopotamian area, the first city that the, um, the secular people say started was the city of Sumer, and it's right there next to Babylon. Okay, so the Sumerian people, if you do any research, you're going to find out that the first ancient civilization are the Sumerians, and the Sumerians had certain cities. Babylon was one of them. So Sumerian, the Sumerian people, now I'm talking secular, okay, so this is what you're going to hear in, in, in the other area of things, not just out of the Bible. But the Sumerians had a written language. They had a written language. They were very, very, very smart. They wrote on clay tablets and baked them in the sun, and those clay tablets have lasted. And they have done a lot of excavation of these cities that you're seeing right there, and they have found actual entire libraries 
from these first peoples. And they're cracking the language and they're learning. There's one, this is where those Gilgamesh tablets, the epic of Gilgamesh is. And it is a list of all the kings and it's pre-flood. He listed, they list those men that are listed in our Bible. I think it's in seven or eight. Remember we went through that whole lineage. It lists all those kings. And it talks about the flood. It tells the story of the flood. And then it lists the kings afterwards. Cool. They had a numbering system. They had, Babylon was very known for their intellectual ability. They had a numbering system and mathematics. They'd taken mathematics. But the interesting thing about their mathematics is that it was based on the number 60, not on the number 10. So when they put ages to these kings, these pre-flood kings, they're like 30,000 years old. So everybody's like, oh, that can't be right. But when they found out that their numbering system was by 60 and they did the math, it matched up. It totally matched up pre-flood. And then the the ages of their kings post-flood start getting smaller and smaller. And they divide it by uh, 60 instead of 10. and, And the ages match up again. You're not going to hear this out there. So there's this inscription in Babylon. Just like they were digging one day and they found this inscription. They thought, hey, this is kind of cool. Let's go figure out what this is. So he took it into the linguistics people. And this is what it says. Where is it? I'll, I'll get it for you. No. Where are you? Oh, I know where you are. You're over here. I got more stuff. You should see my living room. You should see my living room. There's papers everywhere. Here it is. Found it. Inscription found in Babylon. Quote, unquote, Babylon corruptly proceeded to sin. Both sin and great, uh, small and great mingled on the mound. All day they founded their stronghold. But in the night, he put a complete stop to it. In his anger, he also poured out his secret counsel to scatter them abroad. He set his face. He gave his command to make foreign their speech. This is not a biblical inscription. This is an inscription on a thousands and thousands year old piece of clay that they have dug up. And they're like, we can't tell anybody this because this proves the Bible so that you won't know this. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, a little bit more about Babylon. The word Babel means gate to the gods. It does not mean talky-talky. It means gate to the gods. Okay, um, Babylon, the, the city Babylon is the first human kingdom on this earth mentioned, right? We saw that. Do you know what the last kingdom to fall is? Revelation 18. The fall of Babylon. Revelation 19 starts in with the hooping and hollering in heaven and how excited everybody is and the new earth and the new heaven when that Babylon falls. There are prophecies about the destruction of Babylon. But the problem is this Babylon that Nimrod did, that he hasn't, we're looking at this this physical Babylon never was destroyed. You might not know that. It was never destroyed. It was overtaken by other countries, but it was never destroyed. It petered out. 
It was never destroyed. So the prophecies about Babylon being destroyed has not happened yet. There is a spiritual Babylon that must be torn down. There is a spiritual, the, the kingdoms of this world, there are many of them, but this is the first, this is the root, this is the main, this is the big mama. And she will be destroyed. She will be torn down. Read Revelation 18. You'll want to because it gives us direction to get out of Babylon. Don't be a part of Babylon. So what is Babylon? I don't have time to tell you all the good stuff about what Babylon is. But she's very rich. She's the economic system of this world. The original city of Babylon, thousands of years old, it started here with Nimrod. But by 600 B.C., it reaches its zenith, Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is the king. How many of you remember that name? Do you, who, who, do you, who do you remember goes from Judah and is exiled to Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel. The whole story of Daniel. He's in Babylon. He gives the, the king's... He interprets the king's vision of the four kingdoms, the four great kingdoms. And he says, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, yours is the highest king, the the kingdom, the one that's represented with gold. That Babylon in that day, even the bricks were coated in gold. The walls were covered in gold. The Babylon of, of this era, this ancient Babylon, was known to be one of the most richest cities ever. That corresponds with Daniel's first kingdom. He has three others. One of these days we'll do a study on Daniel and you'll really love it. You'll really love it. So Babylon is really rich, economic. And when it talks about in Revelation about this Babylon falling, it talks about the economies of the entire world crashing down. He says, don't be in that. Don't be in that. Come out. Come be with me. Come stay close to me. Put your trust in me. Let my economics be your economics so that you aren't destroyed when Babylon is destroyed. Amen, people of God? There's so much hope there. Don't get up. Don't get scared. Okay, got to move fast. Okay, so we've got this, this Babylon being built. And uh, all these people are coming together. And God said something very interesting in there. As long as they're united, they can do anything. Right? As long as they're united. This is the last moment that humanity is united. Is in Babylon. And God, in the night, it says, and especially in that inscription, in the night, he confused all of their languages. You know, a lot of people talk about this. There's a lot of writing about this. Many cultures have this story in them because all of them were there before they spread out. And then, you know, they're, they're like, they, when they did spread, they were like, come on. And then they would, mommy, why are we going? Well, they, well, our voice, you know, all of our languages are different. And, you know, so then the, the whole story of this, not only the flood now is being carried by people all over the world. Now the story of Babel is being carried all over the world. And many, many cultures have these stories in them, even today. So in the matter of one night, they wake up and they can't talk to each other. They didn't have the, the uh, privilege of learning this new language. It all of a sudden was on them. 
So have you ever felt like when you wake up in the morning and you start talking to your husband and he just isn't getting what you have to say? How does it make you feel? Really frustrated. You know, <laughs> can't you hear me? And what they say in some of these stories is that, um, you know, like they would be, they would wake up and they, they'd be going out to work on the tower and you'd say, get me a brick and somebody would hand you a cookie. And they would be mad at you because you didn't, and they would start yelling and screaming at each other. And actually there was a lot of killing. They started killing each other. There was pandemonium. There was chaos. There was anger. There was scared. They were frightened. They were completely scattered. And at that moment, up until this point, all the nations were all together as one people. They were only just little tribes. But at this moment, this is where God puts his hammer down and actually scatters the nations. And the nations now for the rest of our dispensation are going to be broken and scattered and disunified until revelation 21, when there is the new heaven and the new earth and up in heaven, there is a, the throne of God and the waters flow out of the throne and in the river of God, what is there? Come on, you guys, the tree, the tree, the tree that was back way on back in the garden is there right there in heaven. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So our separateness right now is on purpose. Our language barriers are on purpose. It is something to get us to be a part. But yet at the same time, it was birthed out of sin and it's going to be broken. And God's ultimate desire is to bring us all back together again and that we will be one nation again. With a new tongue that has already come forth in Acts. So all of us sitting here, we have nations, all of our nations sitting here. And we now have a unifying tongue even that brings us together. Are you loving it? I am. That I don't love. Okay. So where are we at? Did I read the whole story yet? Scattered them all over the earth. Okay. So now I'm going to talk to you a little bit from the humanistic side, from the scientific side. Uh, human migration. You just heard the biblical explanation of how we've migrated. There is a whole nother story out there. Whole nother story. And um, uh, let's just suffice it today to say, because I'm going to get it more in, in just a minute. There are three ways they are looking into human migration and how they map it. Linguistics, so through language. Blood type, following the blood type. There's a pattern. And thirdly, through mitochondrial RNA. There's RNA and there's DNA. Everybody understand that a little bit? Sort of, kind of. Maybe there's DNA that's your genome that da 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 that really plans out what. But there's another little pocket inside of your cells called RNA. And that is something that does not change much at all. DNA recombines and, you know, all sorts of things. And, and there's lots of aberrancies and changes. And so, you know, as, as people go, the genome kind of changes. But that RNA doesn't very much. And so they're able to track it. And originally they wanted to say that all of humanity came out of Africa. But they're finding something very different. 
they are finding, number one, through the linguistics, that every language has a single starting place. So all the languages of the world have come from one language, and that is scientifically proven. The mitochondrial migration, or the RNA migration, has now moved from a place in Africa. They have now moved it up into that Shinar, Shinar, Shinar plain. They have moved it to there. So they have decided that all of human migration started there. Now that gives them a quandary. How did they get there? So the only thing they can lean on, see, we believe God created man, and when he created man, bam, he was man. He had a brain. Nuh-uh. Is that my five-minute warning? Okay, we can do this. You guys ready? <laughs> okay, where was I? you got to give me another minute. Shine our plane. Oh, I'm <laughs> Oh, yeah, because we believe it was, thank you, that when, when man was created, he was created smart. He was created just like you and me, Scott. Bam, right there. Everybody else. <laughs> right? You know, with high intellect. <laughs> high, you know, we are what we are. In fact, we are less now than what Adam was, is what we believe. Okay, because everything is in entropy and breaking down and the genome is, you know, we, we did all that a few weeks ago of kind of understanding that. Evolution is just the opposite. They say that we were a little tiny something that crawled out and became this. And now all of a sudden there's this evolution up towards better. That never happens. Nothing to something better never happens. Have you ever seen that in your house? Has anything in your house gotten better? Evolution breaks every single law known. It's going the wrong direction. Okay, so evo- what? So evolution says that we started off as little. We climbed out. We were apes. We grew hair everywhere. Sorry, we were apes, <laughs> and we we uh, we become we're we're you know four. We're knuckle walkers, and we're swinging from trees, and then we we land on the ground one day, and we decide, you know, we're going to stand up, and we're going to walk like this. Lily did that, but it wasn't pretty. And uh, then we got smarter and smarter and smarter until you have you. That's evolution. And that happened over hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years. Okay? I'm dancing all over the place here, aren't I? So what they found, okay, so let's leave that right now. I'm going to talk to you about the Ice Age. How does the Ice Age fit in? Because we know scientifically there was an Ice Age, right? Well, I haven't heard about anything out of the Ice Age out of the Bible yet. Well, here's the really cool thing. After the flood, 
And we learned about the flood, about how volcanic the, the whole flood was. Remember, the whole ocean is a volcanic floor. And if you were to look on a map of the ocean floor, there is a chain of volcanic mountains that starts up in Greenland, and it comes all the way down the Atlantic, and it splits, and it goes around the, the continents and back up. It circles the whole earth through all the oceans. Vast, vast volcanoes. During the flood, now, this is how the creationists are explaining what they're finding. During the flood, all these eruptions and the oceans were warmed. And some of the creationists have actually predicted that during and post-flood, the oceans were 40 degrees warmer than they are right now. They had decided it was 40 degrees warmer. If the oceans are 40 degrees warmer, what will happen? Well... Everything had died, but it, it magnifies storms. Now, if there's no more greenhouse, uh, the canopy's not there anymore, and it fell down. Remember, that's what happened in the flood. Now, all of a sudden, the polar ice caps, the polars, the poles of the, the earth are getting colder and colder and colder, getting very cold, but the oceans are very, very hot. So there's lots of evaporation. If there's lots of evaporation, that's going to cause a lot of wind. If there's a lot of evaporation and wind and things are colder on the poles, what's going to happen? Total huge storms happening, way bigger. So what they did, the creationists did, is they took and they took the best uh, weather mapping ability right now that they have, and they took them and they mapped out what would happen with our regular storms right now. Just raise the the ocean temperature, and you know what it turned into? Super storms. So now we can get storms where snow falls at about like nine feet. Sometimes big storms. Those kind of storms will drop 30 to 60 feet of snow in one storm over the course of a week. And with that higher uh, ocean temperature, all of a sudden, those storms are going to be happening on a regular basis. So it is thought that in doing these models, that the, the, as much ice as said uh, it, during the Ice Age, that that could have accumulated in less than 500 years of that kind of a weather pattern. So it is believed very strongly that directly after the flood, the weather patterns were very, very, very extreme. And ice began to form at the poles of the earth, and it grew. And it was just from these crazy, crazy storms on the, the poles of the earth. And it is very, very plausible. Then in the band in between, there was lots of sub, subtropical type of rainstorms. So lots of rain through that time. That would have changed that that. Uh, desert into a lot more lush. And you know what they know now? They've done so many diggings and so much um, ex excavation that you know what they found? Tropical trees buried in the desert out there. And they're looking at this tropical lush vegetation going, where in the world did that come from? They've also done a lot of drilling in the oceans. They've gone down in just for oil and stuff like that. And you know what they've discovered? It came out just a little while ago that they have decided that there was a time when the oceans were 40 degrees hotter than they were right now. So that, okay, now turn to Job. You may, might ask me, well, how come the Bible doesn't talk about it? Turn to Job. Job 37. 
Verse 1, at this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice and the rumbling which comes down from his mouth. He unleashes the lightning. Listen to the tumult of the weather that he's talking about. Unlightening, uh, unleashes lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. And after that comes the sound of the roar and he thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds back, nothing back. His voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour so that all men may uh, has made he has made may know his work he stops every man from his labor the animals take cover and they remain in their dens the tempests come out from its chamber and the cold from the driving winds the breath of god produces ice and the broad waters become frozen have you ever seen this in the bible this is the ice age happening right in the middle of job now job we don't know the age or the date of the book of job but it is Shortly after the flood. So Christians, you can, yes, yes, on the ice age. Absolutely. Now, put the ice age and put this migration of humanity. So all along the band of where the ice age is, they find these fossils of men that look kind of strange. And they call them Neanderthals. They're stout. Their bone structure is short. They thought that they were dumb precursors to humanity. These bones are short. They're stout. They're robust. They're thick. They have a a heavy brow line. And they think they have a protruding thing. But what they're finding is all the scientists are doing is placing that jaw ahead. There There have been found, and this is very, very true, they have... And they've had to recant and move that jawbone back. And all of a sudden, they have a nice flat face. They don't look like apes. They look like a human. But they're short and they're robust. And according to evolution, Neanderthals were like 600,000 years ago, right? Long time ago. And Homo sapiens, you and me, are way up here. You know what they're finding? Modern humans and Neanderthals buried together. All they are are humans. They think that they had, what the creationists are saying is that they are humans that had, because we're going to find in a little bit, but we can't do it tonight. Uh, The um, lineage, they live long time and then it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. These are the guys that lived a long time and that lived right up along the ice age. So they were under heavy, heavy, um, stressful environments. They lived a long time and they had diseases. They had arthritis and they had things like that but they were buried in same burials uh places with modern quote-unquote humans and dinosaur bones all found together so cavemen when you're dispersing and you're going out there you don't have a house to go to and there's no motel sixes where are you going to live especially when the weather's terrible You're going to find a cave. You're going to live in a cave. Cavemen were supposed to be like thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago before they evolved to me. No. They were regular human beings. They were us. Right then. I'm crushing doubt. So many people, so many kids are taught. I want to tell you all about the dinosaurs. Okay, that'll be next week. Next week, I will tell you all about the dinosaurs. 
doubt. Doubt. God, Satan comes to sow doubt about this book right here. And you know what I'm telling you right now? Science is scared. Science is scared. I got to show you this, honey. You know what? I'm sorry, honey. You're going to... The latest National Geographic, March 2015. The war on science. People aren't believing us anymore. Boo-hoo. Climate change, they're saying it doesn't exist. Evolution, they're saying it never happened. This is an article in National Geographic. Exactly. More and more scientific proof is showing the validity of creation and that Bible that you are in. Everyone stand right here.